For years, I just dreaded going to the dentist. But at Advanced Dentistry, I don't have to. First and foremost, they want you to feel comfortable when you walk in, like, you'll feel it. Whereas in the past, I might have gone into the dentist and thinking, I might feel some pain at some point. But with IV sedation, it can be something that you don't dread. If you've been avoiding the dentist because of fear, worry, or just not wanting to be judged, you're not alone. Visit NoFearDentist.com to learn how IV sedation can change your life. Hey there, everyone. I'm Travel Anderson, the director of culture and entertainment for Out Magazine and the black, queer, and gender non-conforming bad bitch that you need in your life. This is Pride on Screen, and I'm excited to be taking the month of June to look back at notable LGBTQ plus moments in film and television. Each week, I'll be joined by guests to reflect on the characters and scenes that gave us that ooh-ah-ah sensation for the better and for the worse, some of which you might recognize and surely some you've never even heard of before. Now, it may seem like there are a wealth of LGBTQ plus characters on screen, but it obviously hasn't always been the case. And even today, there is still work to be done. According to GLAAD, we've seen immense increases in on-screen representation of our communities, but we're still sitting at a whopping 18.2% of major studio films with LGBTQ characters and a stunning 8.8% of characters as regulars on broadcast scripted series. None of those film characters are trans and the majority of the ones on television are problematic as fuck and don't get me started on the racial breakdown today we're zeroing in on representations of gay men on screen and while gay men can always stand to take a step behind some of the other members of our community i wanted to begin with them because without a doubt they have experienced the greatest level of visibility both in terms of characters on screen and actual gay actors having opportunities in the industry i'm joined by legendary actor daryl stevens who you might recognize from us equally legendary show Noah's Ark and Jeffrey Masters, host of the podcast LGBTQ&A. We take a chronological look at gay men on screen starting in the late 70s and discuss how these representations have impacted them and us in real life. But before we do that, I wanted to bring on someone you all are probably a little bit more familiar with than I. Mr. Lovett, how are you? I'm good. How are you, Travel? I'm doing. I'm doing. Okay. Yes. All right. So we're talking about LGBTQ representation on screen. Mm -hmm. So I want to pose you the same question I'm asking all of my guests. What was like the first character, first person, first moment on television or in film that like stuck with you of an LGBTQ person? I actually wanted to talk about Ellen Mm -hmm. coming out on her sitcom. Why can't I say the word? I mean, why can't I just say... I mean, what is wrong? That why, why do I have to be so ashamed? I mean, why can't I just... Susan, I'm gay. So when Ellen comes out on The Ellen Show, it was 1997, so I'm 14 or 15 years old. And it was really important to me because mm-hmm. I loved her as a stand-up and I cared about comedy a little bit at the time. I was starting to care about it. And... I had realized I was gay, but I hadn't told anyone or maybe even fully appreciated it myself at the time. But when Ellen was coming out, that whole cycle of it being in the news, it being in People magazine, here it comes, here's the episode, the actual moment she does it, uh, the reaction to it, what happened after the show going away, Mm -hmm. her being a little bit in the wilderness before she comes back, I realized that. This was an incredibly important experience for me 
And not only did I not talk about it at the time, I never talked about it because I watched it as a person in the closet. I cared about it. I thought about it a lot. It was important. It mattered. And then two or three years later, I started telling people I was gay. And by that point, it didn't occur to me to go back and say, here's some really poignant experiences <laughs> I had that were quite private. Mm -hmm. And I realized that it wasn't until Ellen got the Medal of Freedom from Barack Obama that I had this extremely valuable moment that nobody knew about. I never brought it up. I never said anything. I never had a single conversation about Ellen coming out being a formative moment mm -hmm. in my childhood because at the time I didn't speak about being gay. And, and so... Um, I was sitting in one, I was, I guess I, it was, it was long after I left the White House, but I always loved the Medal of Freedom events. They were actually really fun to write because you would get to write a really f fun paragraph about mm -hmm. all these interesting people. But, you know, you would just get to write about all these fascinating and good people because that was when we had a president who gave them to wow. uh, good people. You know. and, <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, I remember watching it and all of a sudden I was like incredibly choked up watching Ellen get this Medal of Freedom, and she was choked up too. And uh, it occurred to me that there must be a lot of people that are about my age that had a very similar experience in that they saw Ellen do this, they cared about it, it impacted them deeply, and they never said a word. Mm -hmm. What years lived, it affected them, helped, helped them maybe figure out that it was okay to talk about being gay, remember the moment of her saying it into the microphone, all of that having never had a conversation. And it occurred to me that Ellen has this private value to so many gay people about my age, mm -hmm. right? People who were 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, people who might, you know, there's plenty of people who haven't come out, but people who came out in college, people who came out after they left the house, people who came out earlier in their, early in their jobs, people who came out later, what have you, but who had this formative moment with a comedian, um, and a, a private moment. Mm -hmm. And that's how I was like, oh, there must be a lot of other people like me that had this private experience with Ellen. And it didn't occur to me until I saw her getting the award. And, it, and then I actually went and watched the clip and I realized that I had this, she is playing a 35-year-old when she tells Laura Dern, mm -hmm. how fun is that, that she's gay. <laughs> and I realized that, oh, I, it was, I was 35 when I watched her get this Medal of Freedom. Oh, wow. And I was like, that's, I've come a long way. It was, it was just a, uh, I was just sitting and watching a comedian get a an award sobbing. I think that's amazing. I think one of the interesting things about you selecting Ellen as like that person or that moment that like strikes you is that, you know, I was expecting you to say some white gay man um, because you are a uh, white why? gay man. Oh. Uh, <laughs> Um, but the fact that you like chose a woman, um, it just strikes me as interesting. I don't know if it strikes you as any interest at all. I th I think it didn't it, it didn't occur to me until this moment that it would be interesting that she's a woman. I think it's more that I identified with her as a comedian, and mm -hmm. I've never been a true comedian. And every time I say that, I get a bunch of tweets that say, uh, "Yeah, we know." <laughs> So thanks a lot. You're not the first person. I get it. You don't like I'm funny. You're not the first person. You won't be the last. I don't care. <laughs> Enough people do. It, uh, it just pays for the microphone. The, uh, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but um, I really did like 
I loved stand-up. I loved her stand-up at the time. I still love her stand-up. I think she's one of the great comedians. I think arranging even this moment to culminate in her saying it into a microphone mm -hmm. and announcing it to an airport of people that don't care is was cool and smart and, and spoke to the fact that she was, even, even as she d does it, undercutting it with a joke and undercutting it because a bunch of people don't care. Mm -hmm. um, but that, to me, is why I cared about it. I love it. Yeah. So before I let you go, one of the questions I'm asking everyone, we are thinking back on like the last 50 years since Stonewall, it's Pride Month, you know, the homosexuals are all over the place wreaking havoc in all the best ways. Um, what are you excited about? What are you optimistic about, if anything, when it comes to the state of like being a member of the LGBTQ community? That's a very big question, wow. Travel. I'm a big personality. I would say... That's let me try something try right, off the top of my head. <laughs> having not I'm being asked this question. It's a huge question. We're not at the beginning of the end. We're at the end of the beginning. Visibility is very new and very hard and still not available to everyone. We are at the very beginning of a conversation about not just sexual orientation, which is, I think, a will ultimately look like a pretty tinny and small term, mm -hmm. but about like deeper notions, not of the gender or orientations we express, but about the salience of gender and the salience of sexual orientation in our culture. And it is tied to masculinity. It is tied to, in some ways, the natural language of our culture, which was presumed for such a long time to be straight and white and male. And as we take that apart, what's left is a space, a space for what replaces it, where what you're not looking to have is representation, but actually you've destroyed the, <laughs> you've destroyed the assumptions uh, so successfully that uh, it's not about people trying to get a seat at that table. It's a different table created by everyone. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know what that looks like. I don't think anyone knows what that looks like. I think Me Too connects to that in that it is sort of, it cracked a window into a dark room and let some light in on some of the ways these power structures have manifested themselves. Um, but we still don't know what it feels like to be in that room with the lights on, we are all so accustomed to a language, the breezy language of commerce, of business, of job interviews, of success that isn't open to everyone. And that also is a performance for some people and natural to others. Right. And to me, like all of that is very hard. And I think all of that is swirling in the culture. I think parts of the right wing understand it better than parts of the left wing because they feel it. They feel the threat. Mm. Um, and I don't know how all of that looks, but I'm excited about it because, I mean, just being honest, like, you know, we have this company, Crooked. Uh, it was based around a podcast with me, John and Tommy and Dan, people that look alike. Mm -hmm. But as the company has grown... We have diversified the voices that you hear on the podcast. We have tremendously diversified the people that make those podcasts and find talent. 
uh, and that sit in decision-making meetings. And as that happens, it no longer feels like a conversation about representation. It just feels like a different conversation. Mm. And as that happens in more places, I think that there will be ramifications that are very big and hard to predict, but I, it makes me hopeful. That's what we call a mic drop moment. Thank you so much for helping me kick this off. Happy to do it, Travel. <laughs> I'm pumped. And now we will get to my conversation with Daryl and Jeffrey. So to get us started, I kind of want to ask both of you a simple question. When you think back to like representations, particularly of like gay men in film, on television, on stage, in books and plays and all of that, like what comes to mind, what feelings, what energies come to mind for you? Well, I'm older than both of you guys. So for me, it would be like crumbs. You're not that old. I'll be 50 in five years. Oh my God. Yeah. So crumbs, like we were looking for any hint of a possibility that that character might be a gay. Mm -hmm. It was, (laughs) you know, we had, we had Jody on soap. And then crickets for a long, long time. <laughs> and then and then uh Ricky on my so-called life. Mm-hmm. And I feel like for me that was that was probably what, 15 years of of silence in terms of what I was seeing that was explicitly a homosexual man. So right. for me it was very take what you can get and hope that somebody shows up and represents in a way that you can relate to. What about for you, Jeff? Well, for me, I'm a little bit younger. And so, like, we had representation, but the one thing that came to mind is AIDS. Like, Hollywood for Mm. so long felt most comfortable only presenting us in relationship to, like, AIDS or trauma. And so, besides that, I would stare at, like, background extras and be like, that one has a limp wrist. (laughs) He's on our team. (laughs) Hell yeah. I love that. I feel like my my take is very similar to that, um, where, you know, it, I think it's actually in the middle of both of you. It's like, being like black and queer, right? It's, it's, there was some sort of representation, but a lot of it was background characters. It was the sassy best friend character. It or, wasn't... or the, or even before that, it would be like the arch older British guy who right. was probably gay. Yeah. Nobody right. ever like addressed sexuality. Wedding. Yes. yes. Very yes. my exactly. best friend's wedding. Exactly. Yes. But no one really talks about that. Right. Um, but, even, but also things have happened so quickly that when Adam Lambert was on American Idol, he wasn't out. Like, he was beyond flamboyant. He wore eyeliner, but still, like, his sexuality was a question. And I remember watching that and being like, I'm pretty sure he's gay, but I don't know. Wait, for real? No, when uh, yeah, when American Idol was airing. I he was not out? He was not out. He only confirmed it on the cover of Rolling Stone after the competition ended. Wow. And so the producers and him kind of made, like, the mutual de- uh, decision, he said, to remain out. Or, sorry, to remain in the in, closet. Or not discuss it. Yeah. Right, to not discuss it, right. And, like, representation was so sparse that without them confirming it, like, we had our suspicions, but, like, I couldn't be certain. And now he's, like, the gay guy. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> for sure. The one gay guy. I want to move to Under the Cherry Moon. Yes. In 1986. Describe Under the Cherry Moon for us. So, Prince had released un- uh, Purple Rain in 84, 1984, his mm-hmm. first film. And it was a huge, critical, and popular success. Everyone loved this movie. And then, in in typical Prince fashion, he goes in the complete opposite direction, does a black and white film that's not about rock stars, it's about gigolos in the south of France, in Nice. And he and um, the sort of valet from the the competing band in Purple Rain, The Time, Mm -hmm. Jerome Benton, 
play these two gigolos. And the the relationship between Prince's character, Christopher Tracy, and Jerome's character, Tricky, is very queer. It's super campy, and they're, like, talking about sex in the bathtub, <laughs> and it's it's just really, really intensely queer. And as a, how old I have been? I would have been about 12 watching that film. Um, I was riveted. I was, because I was already a <laughs> Prince fan. Right. But the fact that it got, you know, and Prince has always been on the verge of like, what's, he's got heels on, his, his midriff right. is exposed. What's happening What's this? the eyeliner? Yeah. What's going on? But in this movie, uh, Jerome's character, Tricky, in, in at least one scene is propositioned by an older man who is sitting with two young women. And it looks like Tricky's going to, going to bed with these three, these three people. <laughs> and I am dying, right? It's, it's a little, it's a little side scene. You don't even notice it. He's, he's pissed off at Christopher and he's pissed at something. And, and, and some old man says, well, spend, spend the night with us instead. And I'm like, yes, <laughs> yes, tricky. <laughs> so, you know, just, just little things like that. And, and the fact that, you know, Prince uh, made this very campy, very sort of, it was almost a nod to those sort of arch um, characters from the forties, the, the mm-hmm. where these these men are very fancy, but not talking about their sexuality. These two dudes were sleeping with with women for set for money, hmm. and apparently men, right? So it was a very interesting way for Prince to sort of incorporate that sort of queerness of his image, uh, not necessarily tainting anybody in his circle with the actual word gay, right? But to give them this sort of freedom to be at least when they're getting paid, you know, possibly sucking a dick, right? right. Like anything can happen, right? Gay for pay. I mean, Gay for pay. Listen, that's a, that's a start in 86. <laughs> so, you know, unanimously panned by critics. Like everyone <laughs> after Purple Rain saw this and like, what the fuck are you doing? Right. What, what, where did you, why did you go in this direction? But for a queer kid, that was like, oh my God, thank you for at least affirming that we can all be fabulous and campy together, right? right? Also, this movie for me is like early trans representation, mm-hmm. right? We talk about like the queer movies that are like, they don't label their sexuality, but they're clearly queer characters. Yeah. This is Prince full on embracing his like gender nonconformity. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Like this is a, the, the character's gender nonconforming to me, you know, I'm placing that on them, but he's not trying to hide that. And it's so campy, it's so for the top. And I just like, like with our language today, I'm like I look at it and I'm like, this is a gender queer character with like full Prince gender fuck it yeah. mm-hmm. on yeah. display. Mm-hmm. We love Prince, I and guess. in a- and in the 80s, I would say that there was a different converse- There was a different understanding of the ways that men could present themselves. Like we had heavy metal bands, full on mm. lipstick and eyeliner with giant hair. Nobody was questioning their sexuality. They were all you know girls, girls, girls. Right, but. Everybody, Boy George. We weren't even talking about the fact that Boy George was clearly a queer or, you know, not gender nonconforming person. He was just Boy George. It was a different understanding. But to your point, I think it was just we weren't talking about it. Everyone yeah. recognized it was happening. And like, we allow that for rock stars, right? Yeah. They can yeah. do whatever. So it's Prince. And also they said it in France. And it's like, things are weird in Europe, you know? <laughs> like, that's mm-hmm. the mentality. It's like, well, this would go. He can wear frills. Right. Totally. It's totally fine. Totally fine. We will be back after these ads. Crooked Minis is brought to you by Boosted. Instead of sitting in traffic, searching for parking, or smelling your seatmate's sandwich on the bus, imagine riding the streets, wind in your hair on your own (laughs) Boosted electric vehicle. I can feel it. What if you don't have enough hair to feel the wind? 
well, you know, I don't know if Stephen Miller's going to ride this. <laughs> time spent in traffic is time not spent exploring, creating, and having fun. Use Boosted to get where you need to be faster. Getting from point A to point B means spending more time waiting than moving. If you're sick of waiting to get where you're going, let Boosted give you a lift. Boosted's vehicle-grade electric skateboards and scooters are the modern solution to your transportation woes. With a Vehicle-grade? That's the good shit. Vehicle-grade. With a 22-mile range and max speed of 24 miles per hour. That's quick. That's fast on a scooter. Boosted is perfect for both running to the store and traveling across town. Designed to provide a luxurious experience, it's no wonder that Boosted was one of Time Magazine's best inventions of 2018. With five options to pick from, including their new scooter, the Boosted Rev, there's a personal electric vehicle that's tailor-made for you, starting at $61 per month with financing. There's no better time to change how you move than now. Right now, Boosted is offering our listeners $75 off the purchase of an electric vehicle when you use the code CROOKEDMINIS at checkout. Go to BoostedBoards.com and use the code CROOKEDMINIS at checkout to get $75 off your vehicle. That's BoostedBoards.com. Promo code CROOKEDMINIS at checkout for $75 off. The boost is loose. The boost is totally loose. Dive into the start of summer at Whole Foods Market. Check out their summer splash event with sales on fresh organic produce, organic strawberries, and a fan-favorite sale on Ben & Jerry's and Talenti. Explore deals on grill-friendly meats like organic air-chilled chicken breast, beef and chicken kebabs, all with no antibiotics ever from our meat department. Plus, grab easy sides from prepared foods and cool off with refreshing drinks. Kick off your summer and shop in store or online at Whole Foods Market today. One of my earliest memories of, like, seeing queer characters on screen would be um, in In Living Color mm. um, in the Men on Men on, Men film, on film sketch yeah. series which yeah. you know <sighs> I, I have complicated feelings about this uh, sketch but let's take a look first now I'd like to talk about an exciting new film Karate Kid Part 3 it's all about men working out their problems in a very physical way it was all so primitive mm-hmm. and you know I really enjoyed Mr. Miyagi played by little Pat Morito Ooh, and that Ralph Macchio Three words, Fab, you love These two characters by uh, Damon Wayans and David Allen Greer are also effeminate. They're also just like, actually, they do the little snap thing. Mm-hmm. Three snaps up. Three snaps up and, yeah. up and a spin and yeah, all of this yeah, other yeah. stuff. Um, but I would just imagine, you know, I, I didn't see this until like maybe early 2000s, right? Mm. Um, But this is in the 90s um, when this sketch first started. I just feel like, I feel like when we think of like Black queer characters in particular, they're always super effeminate. They're always this, this, this style of gay. Yeah. Um, And you don't really see anything else. Well, right. I, I, I almost don't, know how to talk about this particular sketch because I watched this and enjoyed this. I find it hilarious to be clear. And honestly, this is what... I thought this was funny. Like This to me is very, very real in a lot of ways. Very that, yeah. The punchline was that they're gay and that's fucked up. But (laughs) they were playing these characters in a way that felt, to me, very um, in keeping with men who happen to be on that sort of spectrum of, right. you know, gender expression and, and fabulosity. So 
I almost don't know how to critique it. I, yeah. I, I, I enjoyed it. I, I cringed at times and then I got bored with it after, you know, they kept coming back to it and the snaps kept getting more elaborate. And, <laughs> but they were like, this, it's not gay enough. We've got to do keep, keep four snaps that. Yeah, and a yeah. split. And it's so exactly, much. Exactly. Um, and look, the, the, the outfits are ridiculous. The voices are ridiculous, but they're not completely out of, out of uh, step with the way some of us. Right. I always say that there's some truth to stereotypes. Right. Right? right. Like, everyone is not this effeminate portrayal. I am. Yes. Um, But, you know, it was just interesting because a lot of the representations that we saw early on were this kind of effeminate variety. Right. Um, So it it painted this picture of something very specific. But then after this, like, um, Keith from uh, Six Feet Under Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. was the complete opposite. So then we went to this moment of like... The pendulum did swing back. We we don't even know that they're gay. I feel like we just got over that like two years ago. Right. For like five years, we only had a gay character is that like, you wouldn't know they're gay. You have no idea. They have had a dick in their mouth. <laughs> and I'm like, can't we get somewhere in between and like all both? Yeah. Like, I want the super femme and the super mask. We want everything. We want the entire uh, spectrum. Um, the next film that I really, 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 really love, although I probably saw it like five years ago, mm-hmm. is Philadelphia. Mm. Um, and it reminds me of one of the comments you made earlier, Jeff, about how so many of our, at least, film representations, right, around um, gay men were sentient on AIDS. Mr. Beckett, (laughs) how are you? What happened to your face? I have AIDS. Oh. I'm seeking representation. You want to sue Wyant, Wheeler, Hellerman, Tetlow, and Brown? I was diagnosed with AIDS eight months ago during a bout with pneumonia. I misplaced an important complaint. That's their story. We've been talking it over, your future, that is, and we feel that because we respect you so much, we must be honest with you. Excuse me. Am I being fired? Would you accept a client if you were constantly thinking, I don't want this person to touch me. I have a case. I don't want them to even breathe on me. You know, we got so lucky that Tom Hanks accepted this role because he's like so likable, right? right? And then he's dying with AIDS. And so everyone in America is like, yeah, I'll see that movie. Y'all yeah, empathize with a different actor in this role. We wouldn't be talking about this movie. It mm. never would have run the Oscar. It never would have kicked off this streak of actors taking on these roles that are like gay men or a trans person to win the Oscar. Mm-hmm. Very, very that. I also have to just shout out Denzel Washington because he's great in like literally everything, although he's at the beginning of this movie, an asshole, but... Um, it's the character, it's fine. Is it? I mean, sure. Um, but I think you're right. Like, we... What we know is so common today is you have a lot of, you know, cis, white, straight men, right? Playing gay, playing trans. Um, and it seemed as, like, a signal in their career that, oh, this is this is the next big step that I need. Mm-hmm. To, like, Don't take risks. Yes, you know, it's it's the true transformation. Right? Right. Because, like, had another actor also played, like, Milk in Milk, that wouldn't be a stretch or character. It'd be like, well, he's just gay. Yes. Right. That's what they always say. Mm-hmm. I Just from my little bit of time covering this industry, um, if you are a member of the community that you are portraying, the the belief is that you don't have to do as much work to to access the character. And yet we kind of see the exact opposite when it comes to race, right? Like we love celebrating Viola Davis playing black roles, but when she plays her role in Widows, which didn't have to be black, we're like, 
I don't know. We don't want to talk about it. <laughs> Love Widows. Shout out to Widows. Not enough people saw it because y'all are trash. That oh. was like the, one of the first movies where she portrayed someone that didn't have to be black. And I think that's like, for America, that's huge. Yeah, and it, it wasn't written to be a black role, um, but she was cast in it because she should be cast in everything um, because she's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a really good movie and you should go see it again. <laughs> um, and then in 1998, we have Will and Grace, which, you know, I've already told you both that I have not ever seen not one episode of nothing. Okay. I'm willing, Grace. I'm so happy you said that because I have also not ever seen an episode. And I have seen every episode at least twice, probably <laughs> three times. Like, I don't know what it is about that show. I, I love it. Well, I know it was like, it was legendary yeah. right at the time. It's the reason why they rebooted it all these right, years later. Right. Um, but talk to us a little bit about like how legendary it was, like how it was received from well, your memory. I, re- I remember thinking uh, in the first season that they were really trying to create this Lucille Ball character with Grace. She was dressed like Lucy. She had big... Um, facial expressions and, and physical comedy like Lucy. Mm-hmm. Um, again, with the character, the, the gay the gay character who is not in any way recognizably gay, Will, you, you would have no idea, right? But then, with these two sort of um, archetypical TV types, mm-hmm. then we get Karen, the drunk pill popper who is, who gets increasingly more and more um, <laughs> fabulous ridiculous as this as the series goes on and then jack who starts off in the sort of boy next door gay um pocket at the beginning and then becomes a screaming queen by season three right Mm -hmm. but you love it like it works because we don't see these people on tv I just want to point out for the listeners who can't see Daryl that like you perked up, like you just had some like renewed energy talking about Will and Grace. Because I know it's 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 kind of corny. It's probably kind of corny now after this reboot. It feels like okay, <laughs> you had your minute, bitch. Go home. <laughs> right. But but there was something so um, incredibly liberating about having gay humor be on Thursday night on NBC. There was something about having our jokes, our sense of humor celebrated and showcased for the world in a, in a way that it just never had before. Right. And that's why I avoided it, right? Because I was in the closet at that point. Mm. And if someone caught me watching and enjoying Will and Grace, then they would have known. Like that mm. was the inner monologue in my head, right? Mm. And so when people say to me like, oh, you're so expressive, you're just like Jack and Will and Grace, I was able to be like, oh, I haven't seen that show. And so I just kind of avoided it. Wow. And you haven't gone back. It's on no, Hulu. I haven't. Yeah, I don't have that. <laughs> <laughs> I work for a print magazine, okay? I hate you so much. Let's look a, a bit of the this quick clip. I got a great camisole. Yeah? Sexy? Mm. <laughs> Effective. <laughs> Was that Danny? Mm-hmm. Jealous? Danny, I don't need your man. I got George Clooney. Sorry, baby, doesn't bat for your team. Well, he hasn't seen me pitch. You see how they set that up to make it look like they were a heterosexual couple. Right. Like, that was very smart for the time. They were, fi- and then the gay stuff as the punchline afterwards. But then it, it just it grows with that. I feel like it's a good, a really sort of it was a smart representation of of how gay white men were figuring out how to subvert. Mm-hmm. Uh, TV narratives, right? And make right. them work for themselves. 
So Will and Grace takes us into, uh, I think, the 2000s. Woo! We're getting to that one. Uh, but it takes us into the 2000s. And one uh, thing in particular that you said resonated with you uh, from the early 2000s, Jeff, was Angels in America. Yeah, Give us a quick, like, synopsis of what it is. AIDS again. Um, <laughs> aren't we excited? This disease syndrome, it afflicts mostly homosexuals and drug addicts. Mostly. Hemophiliacs are also at risk. Homosexuals and drug addicts. Angels in America, what's the quick synopsis? It's about different lives of people in New York City as at the dawn of the millennium. Mm -hmm. And they're grappling with AIDS and a thousand other issues in their lives. So this play turned miniseries on HBO is beyond extra, but like in the best way possible. For me, this was the first time when we had multiple people on screen that were queer, right? Mm -hmm. We had a queer um, evil person. We had a queer positive person. Um, we had a queer HIV positive person. We had a queer all these representations. And I think sometimes we have an issue with seeing ourselves on screen because we've not been trained to do that because we've seen it in like the small roles we've talked about. And so when we do, when it does happen, we don't know what to do or how, how to process that. And this miniseries kind of solves that issue because it adds magic and angels and like earthquakes to the mix. Mm -hmm. And um, I read a quote what years ago that was like, queer people are not used to seeing themselves on screen, so we need to see like all of like the magic that we know we possess also mm. on screen. Mm. You know, we can't uh, relate to that realism. And then all of that on top of the fact that the script is just beautiful. For so long, we didn't have, we didn't have the best work representing ourselves, right? The quality. The quality, thank you. Questionable. Yeah, we would relate to stuff made in like the 80s and 90s only because I had a gay person, yeah. not because I had a gay person and was also good. And so this gave us a script that was gorgeous. I think like the ending monologue talks about like watching like the souls rise up to the heavens, like to the ozone layer. It's just, it's a lovely, amazing piece of American theater. And it also has gay characters. Yes. And I love that. It's epic. Tony Kushner's writing is so just epic. Yeah. It's epic. Uh, also, we have Meryl Streep playing multiple characters. So, like, in terms of magic, mm -hmm. <laughs> you're just, like, blown away. Jeffrey Wright as mm -hmm. Belize. <sighs> that is one of the great gay performances that, of, like, our generation. And he's straight. And he's straight. It I'm is so such mad. a beautiful, beautiful performance. I really don't know how to even process it. It's one of those things that I see I see to this day and just kind of fall out of the chair. It's so it's so beautiful. So I'm adding Angels in America to my must-watch list. She's on, she's on HBO Go, girl. Um, so I will be watching that tonight. Catch it. Anyway, early 2000s, for me, I think then that's when we begin to see, like, uh, a lot of queer people, gay men in particular, pop up on, like, reality television. Mm. Um, and... We've got to shout out Queer Eye for the Straight Guy, the original. Um, and then I want to shout out specifically America's Next Top Model. Cause because for me, Miss J. Alexander, Mr. J, and eventually Anjali Antali being like judges and, and coaches on that show, those were the first times that I saw actual LGBTQ people that like semi-reflected my experience being like, oh, like I can... I can be on TV. I can have a career. I and real be, people, not, act, real not people, straight right, cis actors exactly. playing Not gay. actors, yeah. but like real queer people. And, you know, I know Miss J is like extra and Mr. J was like supposed to be like the still femme, but like more masculine version. And mm -hmm. then you had Anjali Antali just come in there in all of his extraness, right? 
uh, I still watch America's Next Top Model to this day because it's amazing. Um, and I'm talking about old old seasons. The new ones are trash. Um, and that show gave us Isis King. Yes. Yes, it did. It did. It gave us Isis King. Shout out to is Isis. great in Ava DuVernay's When They See Us. So y'all should check that out as well. Crooked Minis is brought to you by Simply Safe. Here's something interesting. Studies show that security systems deter burglars. It's a fact. But there's still a burglary every eight seconds in America. How was well- there an asterisk after it's a fact? I don't know. <laughs> is it fake news? This guy copy has footnotes? I don't know. Well. Anyway, let's just say it's a fact. It is a fact. I mean, it seems like it's a fact. Do burglars just give up because some houses have security system? Of course not. They find a house that isn't protected. That's why securing your home is truly a necessity. So let us recommend this brilliant security system built by our friends at Simply Safe. Simply Safe believes fear has no place in a place like home, so they made their system ridiculously smart. Simply Safe sensors will protect every point of access to your home, doors, windows, garages, you name it. If a burglar even tries to break in, an ear-shattering siren will let them know the police are already on the way. Best of all, Simply Safe's 24/7 monitoring is just 14.99 a month. And they'll never lock you in to a long-term contract. More than 3 million people already know it feels good to fear less with Simply Safe. Sign me up for an ear-shattering siren. John is uh, uh, table for one at the all-you-can-eat siren sound. Audio buffet. Shatter those ears. So go with the only home security I trust, Simply Safe, by going to simplysafe.com slash crooked minis. I actually accidentally set off my Simply Safe because it works so well because I was going to uh, pick up Domino's Pizza's from the curbside. Come back, my alarm's going off. I think it was a sign. Go today and get free shipping and a 60-day money-back guarantee. That's simplysafe.com slash crooked minis for the home security we trust. Simplysafe.com slash crooked minis. Simplysafe.com slash crooked minis. Crooked minis is brought to you by PRX. A few weeks ago, President Trump tweeted, if Iran wants to fight, that will be the official end of Iran. This season, the podcast Things That Go Boom digs into Iran and the Iran deal Uh, and all the controversy around it and why the Trump administration seems bent on getting us into a war. Is John Bolton on the warpath? Do we need to run and build build a fallout shelter in our backyard? I already did. Wow, all right. Get off my lawn, things that go boom. Find out the answers to these and other questions like, do the Iranians know something we don't with that Sound of Music bus tour? I have no idea what that's about. I would like to know what that is. Me, same, same. Is U.S. foreign policy like 50 first dates? And what do you do when- all of a sudden, I guess it's like maybe we keep forgetting the same lessons. I that is that's true. The idea. Much that's like Drew thoughtful. Barrymore did in that movie. Yeah. Oh, no, I didn't mean to give it away. <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler alert for the Adam Sandler, Drew Barrymore vehicle, 51st dates. Anyway. Great soundtrack. This season of Things That Go Boom is a great soundtrack. <laughs> uh, that's Ugh. the worst thing you've ever said my on the fucking, show. Oh, no. My Period. basic boys. <laughs> this don't don't let me in with him on that one. That was mean. This season of Things That Go Boom is available now. Listen on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to Things That Go Boom. Dive into the start of summer at Whole Foods Market. Check out their summer splash event with sales on fresh organic produce, organic strawberries, and a fan favorite sale on Ben & Jerry's and Talenti. Explore deals on grill-friendly meats like organic air-chilled chicken breast, beef and chicken kebabs, all with no antibiotics ever from our meat department. Plus, grab easy sides from prepared foods and cool off with refreshing drinks. Kick off your summer and shop in store or online at Whole Foods Market today. This really great show in 2005. Oh, Lord. (laughs) Called Noel's Art. Written and directed by Patrick Ian Polk that Daryl Stevens started. 
Right. And I know he hates talking. He has to hate talking about this show. No, I don't hate talking because about it. all no, of no, these no, little no. black queers who this was the first time we saw ourselves on television. And like you with Will and Grace, this was my show that I would make sure that my parents did not catch me watching because this would be like the thing that I'd be like they. <laughs> oh, honey, <laughs> you don't want <laughs> listen. Okay, but how did you discover the show? I discovered the show. So we had like, you know, the extra cable, you know, like the bougie people cable with mm-hmm. like all those extra channels. And I was just, you know, like flipping through one night and like landed on Logo, which was, you know, the is the gay channel, the LGBTQ was. channel. What wow. <laughs> oh, and I was like, and it was an it was an episode of Noah's Ark. And I was just like, oh, these it's just these four black gay guys who are friends and it's funny and it's interesting. And I was just like, oh my God, this is like more than one black gay person on screen. Can they do that? Literally. You wouldn't know it from what's happening. Very that. Very (laughs) that. We're gonna get into that. Let's take a quick look at this first uh, minute or so. Wade, these are my best friends in the world. Chance. (laughs) I'm married. I'm married. I'm married. Alex. Hi, Wade. How are you? Married, not dead. Bitch, I can look. (laughs) I'll see you later at our usual spot. Painful to watch that. Painful? Why? I don't know. It's just one of those things. You know, you... you, It's just... (laughs) It just is. Anyway, we can talk about it now. Well, I'll just say that I think, you know... My generation of Black queer folks, like, Noah's Ark was that thing mm-hmm. for us. Yeah. And, you know, they canceled it after two seasons and gave us a fine movie, I guess. Um, but, like, it's one of those things that, like, every time someone asks me the first time I saw myself on screen, I say Noah's Ark. And I feel like there's so many people in my generation who say the same thing. I hear I hear it a lot. It's And it's, it's really, that part of it, that aspect of it mm-hmm. is incredible and invaluable. You can't. You can't, as a queer actor, calculate how fortifying and validating it is for people to come up to you and say, oh, my God, that thing you did changed my life in mm-hmm. some way. Like, that's that's incalculable. The producers m- made an agreement with us, with the actors, to not discuss our sexuality because they were pointing about cis straight men who play gay getting all the credit for all the work that they're doing and stepping outside of their own experience. Mm. They were trying to avoid that, right? Because half the the actors on the show were straight, and the other half were gay. Right. So there was a very there was a very deliberate and sort of um, dicey in a lot of ways, sort of uh, uh, move for all of us to sort of be navigating through these press interviews and and talking around it. Mm-hmm. And um, I do think it was probably helpful for people to sort of be invested in what was going on. Uh, while it was airing, but after it aired, we, you know, we were all free to come. After it was canceled, we were all free to talk about our sexuality in public. So, well, I think there was also an understanding that, you know, if you take this one role where you're playing a gay, you might not work again. So there's there's also this sense of, you know, we already have very limited access to work in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And if we put ourselves in this particular box and we play it too well, that's always a concern. Like, mm-hmm. if you're too convincing as a screaming queen. Um <laughs> you will only play a screaming queen, right? So I think that was one of the concerns. And and Patrick talks about the fact that very few uh, non-gay, even gay black actors did not, were very hesitant about going in and and reading for it because they did not want to get stuck in that box. I mean, so that begs the question, like, do you think it has affected your career? Absolutely. But in the best way. Like, I'm happy to be playing gay characters all the time. Which like, you know, 
begin like 10 years later i feel like i feel like noah's ark happened and then like we started seeing a lot more different types of representations of folks on screen. Yeah. Not necessarily as diverse and as nuanced as the representations we see on, on Noah's Ark, but like you have milk, you have modern family, Glee pops up in yeah. there, right? Yeah. You have the normal heart pops up, Empire pops right. up. Um, but for Noah's Ark to have black gay characters dating other black gay men, mm-hmm. the next time I've seen that on screen is like fucking Pose. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was literally the next time I saw it as well. Well, Empire, right? Empire had some. Too. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Empire. Ooh. Yeah, well, he d- he dated a Latino man that early season, the first season, but then I yeah, think everything then after that was the, black. The current love interest husband, because they got married, oh, yes. Um, yes. is a black man. But yes, it, it's it's that vast of 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 time before I think representations, particularly of black and brown LGBTQ people, have begun to be. Um, as nuanced as like the the white representations that we've um, seen um, in that time period, is there anything in particular that sticks out to you all um, that like, was particularly resonant? What we're seeing now is really, to me, just inspiring in terms of the kids who are coming up in this environment don't even have a sense of what the crumbs that we were chasing right. to see anything that looked like us and to see what our intimacy might look like and to see what our relationships could be, right? They have a, Noah's Ark is on YouTube now, so even the kids who didn't see it when it first aired 15 mm-hmm. years ago can see, can go back and see it. So it's, it's an exciting time. I'm just really, I'm really excited for the kids to today to, to, and where, and to see where that takes them. I think that's such a great point because like, uh, I mentioned Pose, like, that's out today. And we finally have reached the point in trans representation where it's not all trauma-based. Yes. Right? Like mm-hmm. everyone, I think every trans person can name Boys Don't Cry as like seeing themselves on screen. And that movie is beyond harrowing. Right? I couldn't watch it a second time. Oh, no. Brilliant as it was, I was like, okay, I can't go Right. Back. And then we got like Dallas Buyers Club. It's like, okay, great. This is another trans woman. She's like dying. And she mm-hmm. looks emaciated because yeah. she's so skinny. And it's like, we're finally getting over that hump of, oh, we can show trans people where their stories have a happy ending. Yeah. And like, we've just reached that. And I think you mentioned Tales of the City. The new one, I think is extremely good. And I say that kind of hating everything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And I, I agree. I feel like there's something, and it's, it's uh, I, the filmmaker, her name is um, Lauren Morelli. Lauren Morelli was talking about wanting to create a safe space for kids. And I feel like that's exactly what it is. And it's so beautiful to see queer Asian women in a, this lesbian, that lesbian bar scene in the, in the pilot to me is like, so good. girl, you are giving me everything from my San Francisco days of what these bars look like. Mm-hmm. It's so fabulous. And I have a big issue with shows that don't label character sexuality because I'm like, no, we need that label because if not, we're just stuck in like the dark ages of, is Adam Lambert gay or not? Yeah. But so that show gives us Ellen Page who doesn't label her sexuality, yeah. but mm-hmm. then it gives us every other character who does who label does, her sexuality yeah. so we can get away with it there. So I think it's fantastic. One of the things I want to ask you both about before we leave is, you know, we've seen so much progress in terms of how the community um, is represented on screen. Um, when it comes to our experiences as a community off screen, um, you know, we had marriage equality, you know, pass in 2015. It's going to get taken away. Get ready. <laughs> <laughs> come I back. mean, our kids don't get citizenship, but it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to come for our marriage rights. Trust me. They are well, that's not the thing. Done. I, I think done. that's the part of the conversation I want to have is like, you know, we're still experiencing so much kind of progress and visibility when it comes to these representations on screen. But, you know, the kind of 
current sociopolitical experience of our community, of the entire community, um, seems to be... I don't know if in jeopardy is the right word. Particularly the trans folks. Uh, I feel like trans folks are experiencing something that is outwardly horrible, Mm -hmm. unacceptable. And I'm glad that you you, you highlight that because I feel like gay men don't do not do at all what they should be doing they got stuck on marriage equality and then left very it's fucked up very 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 that and, and now right we have our good friend Ms., uh, mayor pete mm-hmm. um running <laughs> running um uh for president um and i think you know like uh, He's one of our cover stars for uh, the Out Magazine Pride issue. Fabulous. Um, but the article, you know, that Heron Walker wrote on him, it, it's it's a critique. Um, and, like, the tagline is, like, is Pete Buttigieg really who we fought for um, in terms of, of visibility, in terms of uh, this rights conversation? My question for you, too, because I've been rambling, um, is, like, as we are having this conversation about uh, pride, about Stonewall, fifty years later, um, what is what is your read on the state of the community, socially, politically, economically, whatever? What is your read on like what more we need to be doing? My read is that we are now playing defense in terms of our rights for the whole community. And I think we need to do that while also maintaining like the offense, right? We can't just do one or the other. And I don't want to see what could very likely happen with abortion rights in the country where every state has a different state law to legalize it or not legalize it. I think it would be so easy for, you know, California to have this thing called gay marriage and like have protections for trans people, but like our neighboring states don't. Mm -hmm. Like have a state-by-state choice. And I really don't want to see that uh, happen in the country because if that happens with abortion and then LGBTQ rights, like the path just keeps going. Mm-hmm. And then like, does my home state of North Carolina like segregate schools again? And like, it's that's fine, North the Carolina, yes. but Virginia, you yes, know? Yes, they do. <laughs> yeah. And so like that leaves us a civil war. And I know that sounds extreme, but I literally mean that. Mm-hmm. If it's I that agree. different of a life experience state by state. Yeah, I think that um, Mayor Pete is a great example of sort of what the mar- the fight for marriage equality uh, has Wrought, right? It's brought us to this place where um, respectable white gay men have access to things that, you know, the gays didn't have access to before. Mm-hmm. And the rest of us are sort of looking around, you know, still broke, still hurt, still uh, struggling to make this this country work for us. And Hopefully, you know, with if I don't know where Mayor Pete will go with his presidential bid, but hopefully he will continue to open minds and he will ho- he will use that access and that platform to to bring the rest of us up. I think again what we're seeing happening to trans people, trans women who are being murdered by other, you know, black people in the streets. Um I, I don't know how Mayor Pete can help with that, mm-hmm. but I feel like all of our communities at this point need to step up and uh, like you said, get on, go on the defense as well as the offense. Like it's time to fuck up these Republicans who think they're going to get in our lives and fuck up what we have already acquired in terms of rights, but also look back and make sure everybody who's coming up with us is safe Mm -hmm. and taken care of. There's a lot, there's a lot to be dealing with right now. And, and, you know, Family separated at the border is is something I'm still 
furious about, mm-hmm. right? Like what? And then we have abortion, and it's just like how many more how many more issues are these people going to throw in front of us to to fuck up our, our lives for no reason? So, hopefully, Mayor Pete and people like him and 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 Liz and and Kamala and everybody who's on the right side of this can continue to illuminate the the struggle and 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 put and put it in the context of what we can be doing to help. Mm-hmm. But you know. Um, it's not looking good for us. And I don't know what to, to say right. to that. Well, my problem with how we talk about Pete is that the exact same problem we have with our discussion about representation. We haven't seen ourselves on screen for so long, so we need this one representation to fulfill everything. Right. Yeah. You know, so we want Pete to be the symbol of change in the way that we thought that Barack Obama like solved racism. We're now post-race. <laughs> right, right, right. And I don't know right. if you guys know, but we did. So like that's <laughs> yeah. done. Thank you know, you. so I don't want to hear the word race anymore. Thank you. Um, so we want Pete to symbolize this like post-sex, post-gender society that we like believe we live in. And that's not who he is. Mm-hmm. Right. And we can't place every hope and dream on him. And so I just like see us doing that. And I, well, I think we're doing that with everybody who's running for, for president under the, with the Democrats, right? I feel like Pete is an example of, uh, you, to your point, you know, that thing that we think gay men are supposed to be doing who they are not always doing. Right. But there's also the, uh, the thing about, you know, what Kamala Harris is, is representing for black, for black women and black people. Like right. what, what can she do? You know, there's this issue about her not being um, progressive enough with respect to the criminal justice conversation. Mm-hmm. And um, I I feel like she's doing a lot. And I want people to recognize that. And I think that Pete, when asked, when asked questions, is actually saying a lot of the right stuff. Some of the things he said have, is, is troublesome. The the, mm-hmm. the voting rights for, for prisoners stuff is troublesome. But that, because it to me says he's not aware of how the criminal justice system is affecting certain com- communities. Right. But I, I agree with you. I think that we are putting way too much pressure on these people to represent all of us at all times uh, from all angles. Um, and I think too, like as like studies have shown, like people pick the person they want to support and then they find the reasons to why they support them, right? Yes, right. Yes. And so like, we're not going to convince anybody to support Pete. Also, like I'll just say like the primary, thank God, is in like many, many months away. So yeah. we don't need to make up a decision yet. Yeah. Right, there's like 30 <laughs> people running for president and, you know, at least, 20 of them will disappear soon, hopefully. Yeah, yeah. You know? Um, but the reason why I wanted to kind of have this conversation about representation and connect it to kind of this political conversation that we're going on is because I feel like we look on television, we look in our movies, and we think that we've moved so far. We think that we've come so far, I guess, is, is a better way to say it. Um, and we think that, like, issues are, are solved. And, like, rep- you've got a job you know, on television, you've got an entire show where black trans folks are like getting their lives. Like your life has to be okay. When we know that the actual lived experiences of many members of our community um, is not quite that. Um, And so I just want to keep people uh, reminded that like, yes, we've made a lot of progress, but like, we're not really there yet. And the shows we're talking about are helping with progress. Like, I think the stat is that 86% of the country doesn't know a trans person personally or doesn't know that they right. know a trans person, right? Because they probably know someone who they don't know is trans. Um, and that's why when they see somebody on pose, a trans person, that's so important because that's their first experience with a trans person. And that is huge because they're not dying on that show. Right. But we also can't let TV be the only way that we, we're educating people about the trans experience. I agree. Because, you know, Pose is great and it's wonderful, but it also is hyper all of these things, right? Um, and, you know, 
I I don't want some white person in the middle of nowhere going up to this person that they read as trans and asking them to, you know, do a shawam or a dip or to walk or vogue for them, you know? I agree with everything you're saying, but it's a better thing to ask. It's a better experience for like a first experience with a trans person to watch Pose than like a Boys Don't Cry. Right. Sure. Yes. Dallas yes. Buyers Club. Sure. I will agree with that. So it's like yes. a baby step there. Baby steps Maybe all even a big around. Step. Who knows? I think big step. I mean, I, I'm actually excited about the ways that, I mean, so the whole this whole conversation is about the ways that seeing queer folks in on screen mm-hmm. has affected us and has changed our perspective and, and has changed the world around us, really, right? So I think given the political climate that we're experiencing right now, shows like... Um, like Tales of the City and Pose and all the other queer shows that are happening. I guess there are more. I'm sure there are, <laughs> right? I'm guessing. Um, are, are actually crucial. I think that it's reminding people that, yes, while this horrible shit is happening, these stories and these uh, humanizing these people that we, some of us don't know, some of us have never met in, or don't know that we've met in person, I think that work is still happening. And I think it's important to keep it happening yeah. I think I think that as long as we are reflecting the world that we want to see on screen if even if it's not always perfect right, right. I think I think Jody on soap in 1977 was hugely important and it, maybe it wasn't it and Matt on on Melrose place was hugely important because even though we didn't get to see him kiss it was still bringing this gay guy into people's living rooms right. where they can go okay this is what this is what a gay guy could be like, and right. I think it's I, these are all important right. steps. I also want to say too, like we are seeing small victories around the country too. Yeah, right. Like Lori Lightfoot, our current mayor of Chicago, has a lot of issues, but she's a lesbian. That yeah. is so exciting, mm-hmm. yeah. and so like it's not all bad news. Right, right. And on that note, thank you both for joining. <laughs> y'all talk a lot. Thank you, baby. Thank but you. Thank boo. y'all so much. It's a podcast. We're supposed to happy pride. Happy pride. <laughs> I want to thank Daryl Stevens and Jeffrey Masters for joining me in this conversation. As you can tell, we got into a lot and also spoke about the sociopolitical realities of these media moments. I hope that you will share with us on social media the things that pop out in your mind. You can follow me there on Twitter at Travel Anderson. And until next week, figure out some ways you too can stand up for Black trans women. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.